You guys may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Man, that's a great song. And uh, man, I hope that not only do we stand in here, but we stand every day in our lives, walking in holiness and righteousness as God has called us to. Good morning, church. Good to see you this morning. And uh, wow, it's a great weekend. What a great way to start our weekend. Uh, singing to the Lord. Uh, do me a favor, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We're going to pick up where we left off, uh, three weeks in Romans 8. Um, <clears throat> one of my favorite authors and somebody that I've been referencing through this, a guy by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones, he spent 13 years in Romans, so I hope you'll forgive me for spending three weeks in Romans 8, okay? Uh, we're not going to spend 13 years there, but we've been unpacking this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Rome, so if you have your Bible, Romans chapter 8, uh, we're going to pick up in verse 26. There's a handout in your bulletin. I really encourage you to get that out, follow along, write some things down. Really excited about today's sermon. So before we jump in, though, I want to just acknowledge some folks. Hopefully there's some in the room here uh, this morning. Uh, it's that time of year uh, where uh, it's graduation time, and uh, Mike Evans is in the front row. He told me he had to go to like 18 graduations this week or something. That's all he's been doing. But uh, if you're a graduating high school senior, would you and your family do us a favor and stand? We want to celebrate with you and congratulate you. I know it's always nerve-wracking. All right, well done, okay? Good job. I know no one wants to stand. All right, thank you. Well done. You just stood with your arms high and heart abandoned or something. Now you won't stand for us to clap for you, but um, now get a job and move out. Okay, so just kidding. Just kidding. Well done. Well done. Congratulations, seniors. That's a great job, okay? It's a great passage of scripture we're going to look at this morning. So with that... um, I really would like to open with prayer, okay, uh, and ask God to really take his word and drive it deep into our hearts this morning, because it's going to take some spiritual eyes this morning and some spiritual understanding uh, as we unpack this, okay? God, thank you for your word, and um, God, as a, as a church, we confess that uh, it's true. Uh, we confess that there's times where it's difficult to get our minds around it, um, We confess that when we adjust our lives to your word, God, that we place ourselves under uh, your righteousness, holiness, a place where you can pour out your blessing upon us, God. And so this morning, God, the passage we're looking at, uh, written by the Apostle Paul, is challenging. Uh, There's a lot for us to get our hearts and minds around. And my heart, God, in preaching this this morning, I pray that it would be conveyed by your spirit to your church people, is that we would look at your word and be engaged in our hearts and lives to worship you, to, to be wowed by you. Uh, my heart this morning is not in any way to divide or to stir controversy, but to be wowed by the God that we worship and serve. And so, Spirit, I pray that you would give us eyes to do that, hearts to see that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I, uh, about a week ago, me and my son <clears throat> on a Saturday morning went down to uh, our Little League complex where we play Little League baseball. My team and his team was not playing that morning, but we wanted to see some of his friends play. And uh, so we went down, and uh, he kind of knows that you know, when we go to the complex that there's a certain area he's allowed to run with his friends, and he doesn't have to tell me, but if he strays outside of kind of these barriers, that are boundaries that I've given him, he's got to let me know. And so on this particular morning, I went down, and and somebody in the community, I knew he had brought some of his own money that he had earned, um, that he he wanted to buy a slushie at the concession stand that that morning. And so somebody in the community was kind enough 
um, in memory of a, of a lost relative to purchase the concessions for all the kids that particular Saturday morning. I thought that was a really nice gift. And so knowing he was eager to buy a slushie, I went on a hunt for him. I was like, man, he's going to be so excited, you know, that he gets a free slushie this morning. And so I go looking for him, and I don't see him anywhere in the area that I told him to stay and to be, okay? And so, you know, my panic meter starts to rise just a little, right? And as a parent, if you've ever had a kid missing now, now granted, he's 12, he's not three, right? I'm like, he's 12, he's fast. If anybody went after him, he probably can outrun him, okay? So, you know, I wasn't worried too much. And so I kind of go around the air and I don't really see him anywhere. And uh, at this point, my panic meter's rising a little more. And then finally, I've come across one of his friends. And I was like, hey, have you seen Josh? You know, I don't really see him anywhere. And he goes, oh, I saw him playing over there. And he points way over this other ball field. And so I kind of go on this trek over the other ball field. I still don't see him. I make this long trek all the way around our complex. I still don't see him. This takes about 10 or 15 minutes. Now my panic meter's rising about halfway, right? And I find another friend. I was like, hey, have you seen Josh? And they're like, oh, yeah, he was way over there. And I think he may have went into the woods. Now, the woods is where kids go to get in trouble, okay? Over there, looking. So, and I'm like, I don't think that's him. But I go over the woods, and I'm yelling. Okay, now my panic meter's about 75%. And this time, I expand my trek. I go all the way around our elementary school. I go to the playground, way over on the elementary school. Come all the way around. Now we're about 30 minutes into the trek. I haven't seen any trace of my son. The panic meter's in full mode, and I'm thinking, I am going to have to call my wife and tell her I've lost a child, okay? And so, you know, and that's a nerve. And I'm debating, do I call my wife first or do I call the police first, you know? And I'm, I'm just in full panic mode. I go around one more time. Now about 40 minutes into the search, I haven't seen him anywhere. I finally run into one of his friends, and I said, listen, have you seen Josh? And she says, oh, yeah, he's right up there. Now, at our complex, we have a two-story concession stand. The first story is where the concessions are. The second story is where the kids go up or people go up and keep run the electronic scoreboard. Now, apparently, okay, he didn't leave the area I told him to leave. He's been up there the whole time, right? And so I look up in the window and I go, Josh. And he looks down. And he gets the biggest grin. He's like, hi, Dad. Right? And so... I was torn between wringing his neck and celebrating, right? I wasn't sure what to do, you know? And so I go upstairs. I stomp up the stairs between there and there. I come down and I go, they're giving free slushies today. Just wanted to let you know that, okay? You know, and... But if you ever had a child go missing, right? You, you know, like, whoo, you know? And it's one of the things I love about uh, the story in Luke 15 of the prodigal son, right? The story of the prodigal son or the lost son is, is in the context of what is our heavenly father like, okay? He's a father who loves us, a father who cares. And so, you know, kind of transitioning to last week where we talked about the work of the spirit in the heart of the believer, and we're reminded that uh, because of the Spirit of, uh, uh, of Christ and the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers, we're now an heir. We're a part of the family of God's incredible truth. And we talk about now we have intimacy and we have access to our Heavenly Father through the Spirit. And this morning, we're going to continue to talk about the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer, okay? And, and the first thing, and so, you know, we're going to kind of unpack this this morning in context. So the first thing I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit helps us, the Apostle Paul says, in our weaknesses. 
So all these, remember, we've, again, we've been talking about what the word, let's go all the way back, right? Justification, remember that the deposit of the works of Christ by grace through faith are deposited. So our right standing before God has nothing to do with the things we do, but it has to do with the works of Christ given to us by grace alone through faith alone. Then when we become a follower of Christ, justification, we now get a deposit of the Trinity, of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and this process through life called sanctification, where we're growing to be more and more like Christ, we now walk in the power of the Spirit. And the Spirit is a deposit of the things to come, the things of glorification, where Jesus will return or will die to go be with him, and all the blessings that belong to Jesus Christ will now be uh, credited to us as well, okay? And so we've been talking about that process. So in this in-between time called sanctification, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. So look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26. And by the way, before we unpack these, you know, there's a there's a handful of verses we're going to look at this morning that are like our fan favorites, right? I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus and, and you've been reading your Bible regularly, you're going to, there's about three or four or five verses here this morning that you're going to go, oh, I reckon that's one of my favorite verses. That's why I love this passage. And it's why I really wanted to park here this morning, unpack this in context. So in verse 26, Paul says this, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, Okay. So if you're ever feeling weak, you feel like you can't go on, man, the journey is difficult, I want you to remember that God has deposited as a follower of Jesus, giving you the Holy Spirit to help you in your weakness. Now, he gives an example here. Paul says, for example, uh, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. In other words, he, he's saying there are times in life where, where Life can be so difficult that maybe you don't even know what to pray. The brokenness of life, the process of sanctification is so difficult, it's hard to get words around what to say. I, I preached on this years ago, and I actually reminded you, I said, if you ever walk into a hospital room where somebody's child is laying in a bed hanging up a dear life, you know, don't go into that room and try to wax eloquent about God and what he might be doing, right? That's a moment to just shut up and pray. Right? That's a moment to just allow the Holy Spirit. I don't even know what words to say at this moment, but, but God, you do, because I'm weak. I don't have full understanding. Now, a lot of people point to this verse and this groaning thing. They think maybe it's a tongues thing. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about the times where we can't get words around life. And, and we can't get our words around, man, you know, this longing in our hearts to get to glorification. We were, the worship team and myself, we were praying this morning and we spent some time praying about, God, we, we really do long for glorification. We can't wait for that day when Jesus returns and sets it all right. We know this world is broken. And, and so there's times that the Spirit helps pray for us and, and get words around we, our heart and our spirit when we can't even get words around. Does that make sense? And, and so that's what Paul's saying. He, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And then Paul transitions in verse 28 to probably one of the most beautiful verses in scriptures. If you've been walking with Christ for any length of time, it is this verse when you've been struggling in the process of sanctification that encourages you and reminds you the sovereignty of God over all things. And as a follower of Christ, I know you've rested in this verse. Romans 8, 28, Paul says, and we know. And we know that God causes what, church? Everything. Everything. Isn't that incredible? There's no wasted anything with God for his children. We know that God causes everything to work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, I want to park here for a few moments this morning. Actually, we're going to spend our bulk of our time on this verse and, and the next two that are following. Uh, 
because there's parts of this verse that we leave off. Notice that Paul doesn't say that God just works everything together for good, but there's a tag on here, right? The tagline is for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So the thing I want you to see is that all things do work together for good for those who are called. That's the point. All things do work together for good for those who are called. Now, the first thing I want you to see out of this verse is Paul's certainty. He says, we know. There's complete certainty. We know that God because of the work of his spirit, the positive spirit that he is, he is sovereign and he's planning and he's working. There's no accidents with God. I want you to hear that. Everybody stop and look at me for a minute, all right? There's some of you in this room this week that something hit you upside the head. Car broke down. Child did something you didn't expect. The boss was tougher than you imagined. The workplace was more difficult. Your relationship at home has been a challenge. I want, to tell, I want to remind you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's no accidents with God. He didn't go, oops, I didn't see that one coming. Okay? He hasn't forgotten you. He's, there's something that he's planning. And by the way, in next chapter, chapter 9, we're going to talk a little bit about what, what is the purpose of God. I want you to hear that again. Next chapter, we're going to unpack the idea of what is the purpose of God. By the way, what is the purpose of God? It's to reveal his glory. And so when the Bible here says all things work together for good, he's taught the biggest, the greatest good of God is to reveal his glory. And so he's using everything that's going on in your life to reveal the name and fame of Christ and the glory of God. Did you know that? And so whatever happened to you this week, there's no accidents. It wasn't a whoops. God didn't see that one coming. God, Paul says, we are certain that God, for those in Christ, are using all things to work together for good. And then he says, not, he says, we know, so we have certainty. And then he says, everything. And we kind of hinted at this, right? Everything God uses for his good and for his glory. For those who are called, those who love him are called according to his purposes. Let's list some everythings, right? I mean, there's some obvious everythings, right? I mean, it's obvious that when we... <clears throat> When we're in the Word of God and we adjust our lives to the Word of God and we're pursuing holiness and we're pursuing righteousness, doing things the way God wants to do, it's obvious that God <clears throat> uses those things for good, right? I mean, that's kind of obvious. But, but what about <clears throat> when I face temptation? I mean, does God use that for good? Or what about the, you know, last week we talked about the three enemies of this Christian faith, right? The world and the flesh and the devil. I mean, what about evil? Does God use evil for good? Yes, the answer is yes. God uses everything for good, to for his glory. Let me ask you another one. What, what about the times we've sinned? What about those times? I mean, could God use our sin and our brokenness for good? You know, there's some of you in this room that you have a, a past sin that you struggled with. And, uh, man, you know the, the brokenness of that sin and the captivity of that sin and the bondage of that sin. And so because of that, because of your journey with Christ now and your repentance, and you, you have a deep passion to make sure other people don't stumble into that sin. Why? Because you know the, the, the brokenness that sin causes. How many of you in this room go, yes, you know what? My past sin, God now uses for good. How many would say, I, I, that is where I am? Two of you. Okay, yeah. Okay, so the three of us, right? Yeah, well, you know, like, yes. 
Now, all kidding aside, there's some of you in this room that, that your past sin is, is the kind of stuff we don't really talk about in public circles. And I know now your passion to make sure other people don't stumble into that sin. Because God's using it for good, for his greatest glory. And so Paul says as Christians, as family members, we're, we have a deposit of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who reminds and helps us when we're weak and reminds us that even in difficult times, God is using everything for good and to bring him glory. The third thing I want you to see here out of this verse is that, and we're going to park here for a few moments here this morning, is that the, the, the tagline, the tagline says, God uses all things to work together for good for those that love God and are what? What's that next word? Called, right? I want you to circle that word because we're going to park there. Those who are called according to his purposes. The good that God is doing is those who are called by God. Now, and we're going to look at the next two verses, and I, before we do that, I, before I unpack this idea here this morning, I, I want to... I I want to give a little disclaimer, okay? The first part of my disclaimer is when I get done my disclaimer, please don't email me and go, hey, preacher, you ain't got to do no, no disclaimers, okay? I get these every time I do a disclaimer. You know, just open the word and preach it, pastor. Just preach it to them, all right? So don't give me that, okay? And here's why. Um, the words we're going to look at um, are difficult words, and I want to be sensitive, Okay, and I believe that's part of my job is to, in fact, the Bible always says to speak the truth in what? In love, right? And so we have to be sensitive to the culture around us. It doesn't, I never back off the truth, but I always want to be sensitive and make sure I, uh, people understand. I understand where they're coming from. Okay, what we're going to talk about this morning, church, I'm not preaching and teaching you for controversy's sake. I have no desire to do that. I have no desire to be controversial for controversy's sake. I will say this, though, what we're going to look at in the next two or three verses are difficult truths for our mind to grasp. But just because they're difficult doesn't make them any less true. Is that clear? In fact, some of the truths that we're going to look at, uh, and especially when we get into Romans 9, there's going to be some of you that are going to feel the need to let God off the hook. Like, that that doesn't really make sense, and so we need to let God off the hook. Okay, we don't need to let God off the hook. If God's doing something and it's the way he said he's doing it, then that's what he's doing. And so my goal is here this morning in these next three verses, as we unpack what it means to be called, because the called ones are the ones that God is working all things together for good. The next, what I, my goal here this morning is for you to see what God is doing in the process of salvation and to worship him all the more. That's my goal. And you want to know why that's my goal? Because that's what the Apostle Paul does in Romans 8, 31 to 39. All right? But we have to see what Paul is talking about before we get there. Now, because these are hypersensitive words, I, I'm switching gears a little bit from the NLT. I want you to see the next couple verses in the ESV. Now, I don't want to get into how Bibles are translated, okay? But there's various schools of thought in how Bibles are translated. Some are more, they take the phrase of, of language and give us the idea of the phrase, and some are very word by word. And so I want to switch gears to a word by word translation because these are super sensitive words, and I just want to get them out in front of you, okay? You know, so that we're not skipping over them, all right? And so Paul lays out in the next couple of verses the called ones that are God's working everything together for good. Now, now let me pause here for a minute, okay? We are about to look at a God's eye view of salvation. That's what we're going to look at. 
This is not coming from a man's eye view. This is a God's eye view. And what I want you to see this morning is what God is putting in front of us is his complete and utter sovereignty, even over the salvation of his kids, okay, and the work of the Spirit. So let's look at verse 29 of Romans chapter 8, because here's, here's where Paul unpacks the called ones, all right? He says, for those whom he, what? What's that word? For knew, he also, what? Predestined. What did he predest? Now, here's the purpose, right? He predestined them to be conformed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he what? Y'all with me? All right, those whom he predestined, he what? He called, right? And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also what? Glorified. Okay, so remember we've been talking about these big words, process, right, of God's salvation. So justification, sanctification, glorification. So Paul says, listen, those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he called. And and those whom he called, he's working out the process from beginning to end, all right? He kind of skips over sanctification only because that's what he's talking about in Romans chapter 8 is the process of sanctification and living life in the power of the Spirit, okay? So he says, listen, God's doing this from beginning to end. So these Tough words that we're going to deal with. I first want you to see why does Paul use these tough words? Well, there's a purpose behind these tough words. The purpose is that we are those who are called are molded into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what God is doing. He's he's molding all of us who are followers of his kids to be more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, as I unpack two difficult words here in a moment, I w- church, I want to be clear about something. I'm not here to get into a theological debate with you after the service, okay? I'm not here to attempt to climb into the mind of God. I'm too dumb for that, okay? I want to be clear that for our understanding, these words we're about to look at, Paul says, listen, the reason these words are important is because God is molding us to be more like Jesus. That's the process of sanctification, Okay, and so Paul says, the, net, the first word, he says, those whom he foreknew, okay, the word foreknowledge. Now, the word foreknowledge is this. It's God's deep affections and love upon you before the foundations of the earth. It's God's deep love and affection upon you before the foundation of the earth. Now, I don't usually do this, but for a teaching point, I hope you'll stick with me here for a minute, okay? For a teaching point, the Greek word here of foreknowledge is a word called gnosko, and gnosko always means in the Bible to intimately know someone or something. Now, in Bible, in, in New Testament times, the Old Testament was translated into Greek, okay? So at the time of Paul writing this, the churches that would read the Old Testament read the Old Testament in Greek. The Greek Old Testament was called the Septuagint. Am I boring you all? I'm starting to bore myself, okay? So, <laughs> okay, and so in the Septuagint, this word gnosko was used all the time to, uh, for, to grab the concept of love and intimacy. Does that make sense? So I wanna give you one example. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 17, the author of Genesis says this, Cain had sexual relations with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Okay? The word sexual relations there, the literal word is the word ginosko. Does that make sense? 
And so a more word-by-word translation, you can see that's in the NLT, which is the one I like to use, but a more word-by-word translation of your Bible, the ESV says it this way, Cain, what's the next word? New, see? It always has the idea of knowledge, intimacy. I mean, is there anything more intimate than a husband and a wife, right? And so it's very clear. There's this word, and oh, I could take you verse after verse by verse after verse where the word gnosko always means an intimate relationship with someone. Now, why do I spend all that time on that word? Because some of you are going to come up to me after the service today, and you're going to say, now, Pastor Sean, doesn't foreknowledge mean that God like looked into the future and saw who was going to accept Jesus or not accept him? You ready for the answer? No, it absolutely never means that. And here's why that's important. God at no point sent his son to die on the cross and then looked in the future with his hands ringing. Man, I hope some people come to know my son. God is sovereign over his children. He's sovereign over his children from eternity past to eternity future. He is doing the work of justification, sanctification, and glorification. He is working it all out by his power. Now, let me be clear. Romans chapter 4 and 5 absolutely teach the responsibility of man to receive Jesus Christ by grace through faith. Absolutely. So, so what are you talking about? You're talking about two very difficult truths that it's hard for us to get our minds around. But Paul here is giving us a God's eye view of salvation. And by the way, this idea of foreknowledge is way, way better than Jesus than God looking into the future. It's way better than that. That's why I love this word. This word doesn't stir me up. This word gives me rest. You say, well, why is it better than God looking into the future? It's better than that because according to the scriptures, in eternity past, for some unknown reason, God set his love and affections upon dumb old Sean Brown and said, that's going to be one of my kids. My heart beats for that guy. I don't know about you, but that, Man, that wows me. That wows me. I'm not stirred up by that. I don't don't have controversy. I'm like, like, wow, the God of the universe before time began saw through my sin and my brokenness and my rebellion, and he loved me. He foreknew me. He loved me with deep affections anyway. Wow. That doesn't stir me up. It breaks me, and it humbles me. Paul goes on to say, by the way, he reiterates his truth in Ephesians 1. You've probably read over it so many times you haven't really caught it. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we were united with Christ. Verse 4, ready? Even before he made the what? God what? Whoa. By the way, if you're sitting here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, let me encourage you with this. This truth extends to you. If the Spirit's working on your heart, it's like, wow, God loved you before the foundation of the world. God loved us, and he what? What's it say? Ooh, now we're getting uncomfortable, all right? God loved us, and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Guess what? God decided in advance to do what? 
adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are stirring into the why, like, why would God do that? How does God do that? Well, he actually gives us the answer. It's not very satisfying, but this is what it is. Here's why God did it. This is what he, what? Why do he want to do it? Because he enjoyed doing it. So what it says. Because it gave him great pleasure. Paul says, so we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Church, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ before eternity passed, Paul says, God loved you and had deep affections for you. Does that wow anybody but me? It's incredible. Then he says this, and not only did he foreknow you, but he predestined you. I love that word. Now, some of you are here this morning. I, I get this all the time. Pastor, you, you, don't, you don't believe in predestination, do you? I'm like, no, I believe in the Bible, and it's in the Bible, so I don't know what else to do with it. I didn't put it there. God did, okay? But I love the word predestination. You want to know why that, I love that word? I believe that God has a spiritual destiny for his kids. Before the world was formed, he said, I've got something for you to do to reveal my glory. I'm working all things together for good for those who, are call, who, who love God and are called according to his purposes. Who are the ones that are called? The ones whom he foreknew and the ones that he predestined. By the way, I, I sometimes give a little pushback to this phrase, but it's in a moment like this that I don't. Have you ever heard the saying, God loves you and has a what? Wonderful plan for your life. You ever heard that? There's times where I give pushback to that because I feel like it's a little man-centered and a view of salvation. However, in this context of foreknowledge and predestination, I think that's absolutely true. God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Is that incredible? It's incredible. And by the way, I talked about this last week and didn't get any pushback, but in Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I'm certain that God who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished. In other words, God is working this whole thing out on the day when Christ returns. Paul is certain, church, that your life is not some willy-nilly, random, bouncing off of molecules. You're not some random accident that came up out of gelatinous muck, okay? You're the handiwork of God, who loves you and he has a plan for you. He's not done using you for the glory of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, very famous verse, Paul writes, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We love that part. We skip over verse 10, which is even more beautiful. For we are his workmanship. You're the craftsmanship. Have you ever met? My, my daughter just came home from elementary school with all her artwork, right? All her artwork. And we went through and it was like, wow, what? man, you're, I can't believe how great you, I mean, you know, it wasn't all that. But we were like, whoa, you know, and like, this is incredible. That's, that's, what, that's what verse 10 says. You're the, you're the artwork of God. You're his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared when? Beforehand. Before time began, he said, man, here's what I'm going to have. You know, Kim and Jim and Julie and Mike and Sarah. This is what you're going to do. You're going to display my glory. You're my masterpiece. You're my workmanship. Now back to our verse. Verse 29, 30. 
So we, God created us to be conformed in his image. God laid his love and affection on you and he ordered our steps. He has a wonderful plan for us. And then here's where the divine meets your life. It's like the cross-section of the divine and your life. He called you. God called you. This is, this is where the divine plan of God intersects with your life. And you were called by God. You know, maybe, maybe you're here this morning, you've been a long-time Christian, but man, you've, you have known the presence of God for a long time. That's where the divine intersects with your life. Maybe you're here this morning and you're investigating the claims of Christ. And as you're investigating, you feel the stirring in your heart like, man, what's going on? What is this thing? This is called a spiritual awakening. This is where the divine intersects with your life. If that's happening, I want to encourage you, man. That's an amazing work of the God of the universe. Don't ignore the call of God. Now, the stuff I've talked about here this morning, is there some mystery here? You betcha, okay? Am I able to perfectly explain it? Nope, okay. Can I fully get my mind around it? No way. There's no way. But I will tell you this. As your pastor, I am absolutely thrilled to worship a God I don't completely understand. In fact, it ought to scare you if if you're worshiping a God here this morning that your pastor easily understands. Because I'm about the dumbest guy in the room, okay? I don't understand the mysteries of God. Remember what I told you at the beginning as we unpacked these words? What was my hope? My hope was that you would be wowed by the God that you worship. My hope was not to stir controversy or divide. If you leave here this morning, and I haven't done a very good job, because my hope was that you would take a look at kind of a God's eye view of salvation, and you would be wowed by God, and you would worship him with a little more love and gratitude for your understanding of the grace, mercy, and work of God. Why was that my hope this morning? Because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul does in the next verse. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul does in the next verse. He doesn't stomp or split the church or leave. What he does is he shouts out in worship to the sovereignty of God over his children. He doesn't dismiss these doctrines. Rather, what he does is he shouts out in praise. Listen to this in verse 31 of Romans chapter 8. Paul says, what shall we say about such, what's he say next? Wonderful things as these. What wonderful things is he talking about? He's talking about the foreknowledge and the predestination that God is using to conform us into the image of Christ and the calling of God where he calls us and in that process he is leading and he's protecting us from justification all the way to glorification. He's talking about God's wonderful plan for your life and he's wowed by it. And he's saying, because this is the work of God from beginning eternity to eternity future, and this work of God is being worked out in your life by the power of the Spirit of God. Because that's happening, he goes on to say, church, there is complete security for God's children. You don't have to worry about anything. Complete security for God's children. You know, I don't don't really know how to preach on these next few verses, so I'm just going to read them to you. I've done that three or four times over the last few weeks as as I've gone through the series because the Word of God stands on its own, and it's just so incredibly powerful. 
It's just so incredibly powerful. In fact, you're going to notice in the next couple of verses I'm about to read to you this morning that these are some of the words that we sang in the song, Our God. These are some of the words that you know all too well. So Paul says this. I'm going to conclude my sermon by reading this passage. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these, Paul says? If God is for us, who can what, church, ever be against us? It's a rhetorical question, right? What's the answer? No one. The sovereign God of the universe is doing this. It's incredible. Since he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? In other words, it's a, it's a greater to the lesser. God didn't hold out his very best gift. He ain't holding out anything else. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. By the way, church, the next time the enemy crawls into your ear and says, listen, you remember those past sins? You're never going to amount to anything in the kingdom of God. I want you to say, no one has the right to condemn me in Jesus Christ. I'm clean. Does that make sense? I've now lost my place. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and raised us to life, raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. What's he doing? He's pleading for us. Jesus Christ is pleading on your behalf before God the Father and saying, the enemy has no right over my kids. Incredible. Can anything ever separate us from God, Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we go through trouble or calamity or persecute or hunger or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? You know what the scriptures say. For your sake, we're being killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. Verse 37, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. By the way, overwhelming victory. Some of y'all, you remember your older version of the Bible, which I really like here, says we are more than what? conquerors. The actual word there is super conquerors, hyper conquerors. You're like superhero words, okay? Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. Verse 38, and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, we are secure in Christ. I want to finish with a story. We're going to close with prayer. My daughter... Um, we keep her toothbrush and toothpaste in our bathroom because that's where she does her hair every morning. And so at bedtime, I'll sometimes, when I'm putting her bed, say, honey, why don't you go into our bathroom and brush your teeth before bed? And, and she'll stop and she'll, she'll say, well, Daddy, it's, it's dark in there. I don't want to go in there by myself. And on occasion, I look down at her and I say, well, honey, I'm not going in there because I'm scared too. My kids are going to need major counseling someday, right? <laughs> And whenever I say that to her, she looks up at me with this quizzical look, and she goes, Dad, you're not afraid of the dark. How does she know that? I never told her. I am afraid of the dark, especially when I hear noises downstairs, right? I wake my wife up, go down and see what that is. You know, that's... <laughs> 
My daughter just assumes that I'm not afraid of the dark. And the minute I walk in there with her, everything is fine. Church, let me encourage you with this. The next time your worry meter gets pegged, has that ever happened to you? Happens to me. Happens to me all the time in ministry. Next time your worry meter gets pegged, next time your heart is full of fear, I want to encourage you with this. You can trust in the God who loved you. You can trust in the God who set his affections upon you before time began. You can trust in the God who ordered your steps from beginning to end. Nothing, and I mean nothing, neither life nor death nor angels nor demons nor our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers in all of hell can ever separate us from God's love. It's incredible. Let's close our prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm encouraged by your word this morning. We thank you, God, as your children, that we know that nothing separates us from the love of God. We rest in that, God. There is no power, either spiritual, on earth, or death itself, that separates us from your love. And God, that is truly walking in the power of the Spirit. And may your Spirit remind us of these truths throughout our week. That God, the next time our worry meter gets pegged, you will bring to our hearts the truths of these scriptures. That God, you are working all things together for good to those that love you, and are called according to your purpose. And we rest in these truths, completely secure in you, our Heavenly Father. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Church, this is our offering time. If you are a guest with us this morning, first of all, thank you so much for being here. I want you to know we we are not after your money, so we don't want you to feel any obligation to give. Uh, This offering is one of the ways we worship the Lord together as a church, and so if you'd like to join us in that, you're welcome to, but don't feel any obligation. As a guest, on the side of that bulletin is one thing. There's a tear-off. We call it a connect card, and uh, we'd love to have your mailing information. We just want to send you a thank you card for for coming. That's all we're going to do with that. And uh, man, we have a treat for you this morning uh, during our offertory song. Uh, This is actually a song that Pastor Joey wrote, so I'm eager to hear it. Joey.